So I want to start us off today with a question. Do you ever wish you could be someone else? Do you ever wish you could be someone else? Well, when I was a kid, <laughs> um, I had moments where I would dream of being someone else. Um, I imagined um, uh, for a few years of being a race car driver and uh, living that life of traveling all around the globe to different circuits and cities and competing at a really high level in really fast and expensive cars. Um, in fact, uh, once I was actually into this thing called NASCAR, I don't know if you've heard of this, where they drive around in kind of an oval motion over and over and over repeatedly. Um, but what I actually like more is the more sophisticated, if you will, um, European style road course racing. And that's the kind of racing where you have brands of cars like Porsche and Ferrari and BMW and Audi and McLaren. And they would have these epic battles on the track. And I imagine being one of those guys. I wanted to be one of those guys. Um, my, dad, he, my, my dad, he raced sports cars for a portion of his life. And so that probably had a little something to do with it. Um, I know at all, like, like we all have these times in our lives, seasons where we wish that we could be someone else. Maybe we wish we were somebody who was a little taller, a little slimmer, maybe a little more muscular, maybe a little funnier, maybe somebody who gets to have a more flexible schedule, maybe someone who has more money or more power, or as the cool kids say now, more influence or more fame. Or maybe you're more achievement-based in the way that you kind of evaluate yourself in your life. And so you wish you could be a manager, a senior manager, a partner, a C-level executive, um, or maybe even the founder of your own company. Maybe you wish you could be someone else. So why do we wish we could be someone else? What about the person we are? And what about the person, and this is what I want us to talk about today, what about the person we are becoming? Today we're beginning a new sermon series, and we're going to be talking about how to grow in our faith in Jesus Christ, what it looks like, what it doesn't look like, and how to do it while living in Brooklyn in 2022. Pastor Will and I have been reading a book titled The Me I Want to Be by a man named John Ortberg. And in addition to the scriptures, this particular book has influenced me to consider how, uh, who God has created me to be and how to evaluate what spiritual growth actually looks like. How to get to the me I want to be. The Bible says this in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, to put this verse in context, we kind of have to know what comes right before it. <laughs> so um, before it, in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 9, we see that at one time, the statement of Ephesians 2.10 was actually not possible. Here's what Ephesians 2, verse 1 says. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. The Bible's telling us that we have no power on our own to grow spiritually. <laughs> uh, we have no power on our own um, according to what it says here in Ephesians 2.1, to honor God in, in, in what we do. Um, Ephesians says, we lived in the passions of our flesh and were by nature children of wrath along with everyone else. <laughs> and there's one word here in this paragraph that sums it up. Dead. <laughs> That's what you came to church for today. <laughs> 
Um, thank you for the encouraging word, Pastor Kyle. Dead. Yes, dead. This is not good news for us. Paul, the author of Ephesians here, is saying that we were dead to all things spiritual because of our sin. We were without hope and we were subject to God's wrath. But praise God, the passage doesn't end there. Now listen to this, because this is good news. And this is one of the things that we celebrate when we gather together with God's people in the church. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But God, right? God has made us alive in Christ. God's grace and God's kindness to us is made possible by Christ's death on the cross. For there he paid the penalty for our sins, the Bible tells us. All of this was done by, uh, for us. It was done on our behalf by God. We didn't do this on our own. And all of this was done for us by God so that verse 10 that I started with can be realized. It can actually happen. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's talk about that. What are these good works? Are they only things that we do, or is this speaking of something deeper? Maybe who we are. Listen to this quote. Life is not about any particular achievement or experience. I'm especially talking to those enthusiasts out there. Life is not about any particular achievement or experience. The most important task of your life is not what you do, but who you become. There is a me that you want to be, isn't there, church? Before we get into who that person is, let's talk about the opposite. We'll call this the me that you and I don't want to be. The me I don't want to be. I'm going to give you several types of me's that we don't want to be. Now, these are generalizations, these are broad categories, but hopefully you find something relatable in one, in one or multiple of these. Let's walk through these together. First one is the me I think I should be. Sometimes there's a temptation to compare ourselves to others in hopes of finding out who we should be or what we should do. Now, this isn't all bad. Sometimes, for example, finding an example of somebody who's a godly role model, a godly mentor, um, somebody that you want to follow, that's a really good thing. But when talking about spiritual growth, when we try to compare ourselves to others, what we, often, we often attempt to create a me that I think I should be. <laughs> based on how God has wired someone else. Here's an example. Um, when's the best time to spend time with God in prayer or reading the Bible? Perhaps you might say in the morning. But do you say that because that's the best time for you or because you think you have to spend time in the morning because that's what you heard somebody else tell you? <laughs> Maybe that's what you heard me tell you once or Pastor Will or another, or, or another Christian or somebody else in your group. Could it, could it be that maybe you need to find a better time in your day, in your rhythm, to spend time with God so that you cannot maybe neglect your kids in the morning <laughs> or neglect your wife in the morning or help out with things? Could it be that maybe your midday or evening time with God that you spend with Him at those hours is just as spiritual, just as God-honoring, just as sacred, and just as holy? Could it be? I think it is. Maybe when it comes to how you serve, 
and you've been here at Crossroads for a little while, and you say, hey, I've been told that kids ministry is a great place to serve, and I see that other people are serving there, so that's where I should serve. That's awesome. If that's you, our kids ministry here is awesome. It, it, it's amazing. We have a great kids director in Emily Mueller, and um, yeah, I'm getting amens everywhere. Yeah, so yeah, I, I mean like, yes, 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 yes. But could it be that God has wired you for our first impressions team? Did you know that smiling and welcoming people to our worship service, to the house of God, to the people of God, to the family of God, making them feel welcome in that is just as spiritual, just as important, and just as God honoring is serving elsewhere? A guy named Henry Allen, he wrote this. He said, spiritual greatness has nothing to do with being greater than others. It has everything to do with being as great as each of us can be. Did you catch that? Spiritual growth does not have anything to do with you comparing yourself or your spiritual life or your walk or anything like that to somebody else. In fact, you could say comparison kills spiritual growth. And when we talk about the me I think I should be, listen to this. Should is an important word for spiritual growth, okay? So we're not throwing it under the bus. Should's an important word for spiritual growth. But God's plan for you is not just to obey him because you should, even though you may not want to in all areas. God actually made his plan, his plan for you, is for you to want it. Here's an example. Ladies, if your husband said, you know, I should treat you with love and care, serve you, provide for the household, be willing to lay down my life for you, but I really don't want to, but I guess I'll do it because I should. How would that statement be received in your home? think you know the answer to that. Don't be the me that you think you should be. Be the me that God made you to be. The next kind of me that we don't want to be is the me other people want me to be. Ever heard of this one? Did you know? Have you noticed? Have you lived, have you lived long enough? Have you interacted with enough other people that kind of know you? Have you noticed that everybody else has an agenda for your life? Everybody else has a plan for you? So we call that, that's the me other people want me to be. Here's a good example. We've all heard about the college student who applies to a pre-med program because both of her parents are doctors and she's expected to follow suit uh, even though she wants to be a teacher. This student either switches majors and becomes the me that they want to be or they attempt to live their lives and their careers as the me their parents want them to be. Also, uh, here's another example. You might know the person that says yes to everything. Maybe this is you. Um, we all know the person. They say yes to everything. Yes, 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 yes. And, and they say it because somebody told them somewhere along the way, we need you. <laughs> or, you know, you're like the best at this. And even though their heart's not in the work, they say yes, they say yes, they say yes. They're trying to be the me that others want them to be, and it's exhausting to them. And it's exhausting to us. Did you know also that God is the only person in the universe, the only person in the universe who can tell you how to change to become the me that you want to be? He's the only person that can do it. He's the only one who knows, he's the only one qualified, and this is because he's the only one who created you. God knows what the best version of you looks like. Not your mom, not your dad, not your spouse, not your best friend, 
and certainly not your resident Thanksgiving dinner philosopher, your brother-in-law. Only God can do this work in you. So don't be the me other people want you to be. The next me we don't want to be is the me that I'm afraid God wants. This is a weird title, I'll explain. Listen to this, church. A recent study by the Barna Group, um, which is a big, big research institute, they found that the number one challenge to helping people grow spiritually is that most people equate spiritual maturity with trying hard to follow the rules of the Bible. They say, what is spiritual maturity? And people say, it's trying hard to follow the rules. And they said, that is the number one challenge to helping people grow spiritually. Here's why. When people think that spiritual maturity is attained or is reached by rule keeping, of course their motivation is low. I mean, you know this in your own life. This kind of thinking makes spiritual formation a chore. It makes it a chore because it takes away the joy of living by faith in Jesus Christ. There's an enormous, enormous difference, church, enormous difference between following the rules and following Jesus. And here's why, and don't miss this, you can follow the rules without cultivating the right heart. You can follow the rules. People have done it <laughs> without any heart change at all or any heart movement towards God. Paul in Galatians actually says this. Uh, Galatians 3.12 says, uh, I'm going to read it from the message because it actually explains this verse and, and it kind of clicks with our modern ears. Um, Paul in Galatians uh, 3.12, it says, Rule keeping does not naturally evolve into living by faith, but only perpetuates itself in more and more rule keeping. A fact observed in scripture. The one who does these things, rule keeping, continues to live by them. When people think that following rules is the measure of their spiritual growth, when people think that, then it leads them to measure their spiritual lives by how much rule following they accomplish. They start grading themselves. Um, they pull out the checklist and they say, how many of the rules am I keeping? <laughs> and this leads people to always feel like they come up short, which makes sense, right? We all come up short. The Bible tells us that. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us are perfect. And sometimes you'll hear this described as legalism or performance-based religion or, or some other title. Um, but church, I'm here to tell you as an encouragement, it's a miserable way to live. <laughs> it's a miserable way to live to just feel like you have to keep all the rules all the time. God knows we can't meet his standard of perfect obedience. He knows. That's why he sent his son, Jesus. Jesus came so that we would have life and have it with abundance. And where is life found? It's found in Jesus. It's found in knowing him. It's found in walking with him. Jesus did not come so that we would follow the rules and not change our hearts. He did not come for us to just get all the rule keeping accurate. He wants us to become more like him. So do not be the me that you're afraid God wants you to be. I think you have the wrong me in mind. That's a wrong view of me. Don't be that me. The last me that we don't want to be is the me that fails to be. The me that fails to be. This is the person who fails to become who God meant them to be. In the medical world, um, this will be described as a condition. Um, it might be called failure to thrive. Um, for any medical people in here, failure to thrive. Or languishing. Languishing. And in medicine, this is where someone is unable to grow physically into who they are meant to be. The term languishing is, is often applicable to, to our mental and spiritual lives as well. Um, for example, if we languish, 
That means that we feel like this inner deadness, inner deadness about ourselves, inner deadness about our lives, inner deadness about our relationships, our jobs, our hopes, our futures, our legacies, and ultimately our relationship with God. That's what it means to languish spiritually. To languish is to not grow spiritually into who God has made us to be, called us to be, and equipped us to be. Um, for example, someone who languishes, maybe they have given up on God's growth plan for them. <laughs> um, they've given up. They've lost sight of the purpose of their lives to glorify God in all things. They've lost sight of that, and therefore they're failing to fulfill the plan that God has for them. Um, think of it like this. This is like when you're in an airplane. I was in an airplane this week, and you're trying to depart uh, good old JFK. Anybody? Trying to depart JFK, and you're sitting there, you're buckled in, you know, of course your row's full, because that's how it goes, and you know, they've jammed everything they can possibly into the overhead bins, and you're finally like, seatbelt clicked, you're sitting there, you're just ready to go. You're ready. And then the pilot comes on and um, yes, this is the uh, pilot coming, calling you from the flight deck. And today at JFK, we are number 199, 199 scheduled for takeoff. Um, 199, um, that means there's 198 in front of us, and uh, we will do everything we can to get you on your way shortly. Please sit back and enjoy the taxiing. And the entire time, you're just praying that they don't send you back to the gate because there was a radio malfunction or something. You are languishing in that moment. You are languishing. And this is not who you want to be. It's okay to be that way in an airplane for a little bit. But that's not who, that's not who you want to be with, with your life. There's something inside of you that desires more out of life than just to sit in a holding pattern on a tarmac. You want to take off. And that's something God has put in your heart from the time that he first thought of you, from before the foundations of the earth when he, when he thought of you and created you, he wants you to take off. So let's talk about the me I want to be. Who is that person and how is that person shaped or formed? So let's start with a question that we all ask ourselves or maybe we ask those who are closest to us uh, if we're really brave at some point in our lives. What is most important in life? What is most important in life? Remember, life's not about any particular achievement or experience. The most important task of your life is not what you do, it's who you become. This is where spiritual formation church comes front and center. The last time I got up and preached, I talked about spiritual formation and the idea that everyone is being formed by something all the time. That was my last sermon. This includes the media we consume, the city we live in, the places we travel, the friends we have, the family we grew up in, and on and on and on. The world is a formation machine, and we are in it. So therefore, spiritual formation cannot be viewed as optional for only some people or only a select few. Spiritual formation all of life formation is happening in you already. Formation's going to happen, it is happening, and the only question is, who are you being formed into? Who is it? You see, the product of the inner formation of your life is who you become. That's you, that's the real you. Maybe, maybe you keep walls up, maybe you don't let a lot of people in, but the product of the inner formation of your life is 
who you become. This is the me you want to be. This is the me we want to focus on. Our working definition of spiritual formation uh, comes from a man named Robert Mulholland in his book, Invitation to a Journey, and he says this, spiritual formation is the process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. Spiritual formation is the process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. Your inner life, that's your thoughts, that's your will, that's your desires, um, that's your character. Those are what is formed into the image of Jesus. The outward behavior that results is the fruit. What people see coming out on the outside, that's the fruit. And we don't measure ourselves by, by the fruit without first acknowledging where the fruit's coming from. So to say that a different way, we don't measure ourselves by just the outer without first acknowledging where the inner begins. And this is where we get into a biblical concept called flourishing. Flourishing. And this is best described in Psalm 92. Uh, one of the places of the Bible it's described, Psalm 92, verse 12. It says, the righteous flourish like the palm tree. They grow and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Think about the tree here in Psalm 92. When you plant a tree, which I know you all did this week. Don't give me a plant, by the way, as a gift, because they all meet the same fate. We just don't do well with this in my house. Um, they, I, I don't know how, even the unkillable ones, we just seem to, yeah, I don't know. But when you plant a tree, if it's properly rooted, adequately watered, and nourished, it will grow into something beautiful. It will flourish. A growing tree hungers for food and water. A growing human being hungers for food and water. I have one in my house, I know. <laughs> to grow spiritually, we must hunger too, but not for food and water. We ought to hunger for righteousness, which comes from a relationship with Jesus. The Bible says, Matthew 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You know how good it is to be satisfied? When we are satisfied in God, we are freed up to flourish spiritually because we no longer hunger after all the lesser things that don't fill us up that don't satisfy us. When we're satisfied in God, we are freed up to flourish spiritually, church. And flourishing spiritually is to be grounded and planted in the fertile soil of God and to grow into the beautiful creation that he has designed you to be. Flourishing is to grow into the best version of yourself that God has preordained for you to be. And remember, he's the one that does the work. Don't you want to flourish like that? Don't you want the trajectory of your life to be God-centered and upward toward him, creating life within you and then unleashing blessing to others around you all along the way? I mean, isn't that what you want for your life? Isn't that what you want people to say that like knowing you was like? Psalm 92 says of the flourishing person, they still bear fruit in old age. I'm not putting an age on what they meant by old. I don't know what that means. Um, but it means it's not too late for you. It's not too late for you. 
They are ever full of sap and green. That means that spiritual vitality is still occurring and they never stop declaring the Lord's goodness to others. Do you know people like that? Their spiritual lives are not based on temporary circumstantial happiness. No, no, no. They are becoming increasingly more like Jesus as the years pass by. A flourishing person, as Psalm 92 describes, their lives are built on the rock that is Christ. They still bear fruit in old age. I love it, church, when I see our senior citizens who are still on mission for the Lord, still growing in their walk with him, and still leading younger people along the path to do the same. I love that. I love it when I see our middle-aged people or our people that have maybe older kids um, coming, uh, coming back down and they're reaching down to our teenagers. And these parents are flourishing. <laughs> And they're pouring into our teenagers, to our middle and high schoolers. I love seeing that. And they're teaching them the way of Jesus because they're still walking in it. They haven't gotten over it yet. I love seeing that, church. And by the way, along these lines, God's not asking you to be anyone else except who he made you to be. Don't forget that. He's not asking you to be somebody else. You will change, yes, but you'll still be you. Psalm 92 doesn't mention anything about switching tree types or varietals, <laughs> okay? It doesn't mention it. It does not say in Psalm 92 that you're going to switch to a different kind of tree. No, you will change, but you're still you. A lot of us think we have to become someone else. We don't. We don't have to become anyone else to be who God wants us to be. You'll still be you. The only choice is to flourish or to languish. And a flourishing person is a person who's full of the love of God and who's full of the peace of God. This becomes who they are, in fact. They become a loving and peace-filled person. And who do you know that was like that? His name is Jesus. They become loving and peace-filled just like Jesus. The Bible says of love, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. 1 John 2.5. The Bible says of peace. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Isaiah 26.3. You could even expand the core of what it means to flourish into a list of the fruits of the spirit. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, faithfulness, uh, gentleness, self-control. A person that is flourishing exudes these characteristics with one very important distinction that I don't want us to miss. The fruits grow from the inside out. They don't tack on some fruits to what they got going on. <laughs> they grow from the inside out. That's not how a plant grows. That's not how a tree grows. That's not, that's not how we grow. These fruits are not a checklist of outward behaviors. Because remember, we're not trying to keep the rules. But instead, they are an internal scan on the heart. And, it, and, and we're looking at that and we're going, okay, we're trying to determine, are we becoming more like Jesus or less like Jesus? Are we going this way or are we going that way? This is the me you and I want to be. So how do you become the real you? How do you become the you that God made you to be? And the me which you deep down really want to be? How do, you, how do you become that person? I mean, this is the million dollar question, isn't it? 
So let's break it down. Let's remember a few facts. God's desire for you is to become more Christ-like, amen? And God's the only one who can accomplish this work in you, amen? And this means that our job is to position ourselves to be formed and shaped by God into the people who he's created us to be. We are to put ourselves in a position to be formed and shaped by God into who he has created us to be. So we need to find out what that is. We need to find out the ways that God wants to form us and lean into those. And one of the greatest gifts we have in finding that out is prayer. We can speak with God about our desires and we can speak with God about our longings to grow spiritually. And church, I assure you, those are prayers and those are conversations that God's ready, ready to answer and those are conversations God's ready to have. And remember too, who we're talking to and who we're talking about. God is all powerful. He can do anything. He can do anything. He created everything from nothing. He's omnipotent. That's a big $20 word that means all powerful. And he can even empower your next step towards him. Whatever that step is for you, he can empower you to take it. You don't have to do it on your own. And maybe for you, that next step is trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe, maybe it's turning away from your sin and saying, you know what, my own plan for my life and the way that I've been trying to run things and do things, like it's just not, it's not working. I'm not becoming the me that I wanna be. And so maybe you need to surrender to God's plan for you, surrender to his will, his way over your life. Or maybe it's taking an inventory of your inner life, of what, of what goes on on the inside, the things that nobody else sees or knows. And ask yourself, like, are you growing more like Jesus in this season of your life? Or are you growing away from him? And what areas of your inner life are not fully surrendered to Jesus? What's that thing you're holding on to? That you're just like, you know what? Like, I can give God everything, but not this. Ask God to help you, sh like, like, like help show you what that is. And in what areas of your inner life are you not at rest in God? Where are you clinging to your anxiety and your worry and your fear and not surrendering it over to him? Confess these things before the Lord. Place yourself near his endless supply of grace. And in church, when I say that, the Bible, there's, there's too many chapters and verses to sit here and read to you. Um, but it is an endless supply of grace that God has for us. Endless supply of grace and mercy is waiting for you. He's waiting for you to become the me he created you to be. Let us pray. Father God, you are full of endless grace and mercy for us. And God, you love us more than anyone or anything has ever loved us. And God, you want for us to be shaped and molded into the image of your son, Jesus. And you want it, God, more than we want it or more than anyone else wants it. And so God, I, I just pray for, I pray for myself and, and, and I pray for everybody in the, that's within the sound of my voice, God, that you would lead and guide us 
closer to you. Show us the areas of our lives, God, that we need to surrender and turn over to you. Show us the areas of our lives where we are not resting in you. Show us the things that we're holding on to, God, that are getting in the way of us being close with you. And God, call us to repent of those things, to turn away from those things, God, and to turn towards you for the grace and forgiveness that you offer, the free gift, God, that you offer for us. I ask that you would do this now as we approach our time of response in the service. In Jesus' name, amen.